Hello, dear listeners, and welcome to the Nope Too Creepy podcast. April is so close, I can almost taste it. That means spring is on the way as well, and the hibernation season is over. But before the natural world awakens, we are going to dive in to all the creepy goodness sleeping can offer. This month's mega episode will feature three stories of horrifying sleep experiences. The first story is a nope too creepy original that I've been told is more disturbing than traditionally horrifying. Inspired by my real nightmares, I present I'll Wake Up Any Second Now. How am I at work already? Jeez, it feels like I barely slept. Oh well, another day, another dollar. Eight more hours until I can go home and relax. Wait, did I say eight hours? Apparently it's only six. Five? Four. Two? Hey, work is over! I'm not sure what's going on, but I'm not questioning it. I guess it's one of those mind-over-matter things. I focused at the tasks at hand, and bam, time just flew by. Did I even eat? Uh, I don't think so, but I'm not even hungry. No time to grab food anyway. By the way things are going, I better hurry or I'll miss my train. Crap, actually, it's leaving pretty soon. I better run. Damn it, what the hell, my legs. My legs feel like jelly. I can barely lift them. I guess this is what I get for sitting at my desk all day. I really should be more active. Maybe I'll buy one of those fancy sport watches or something. Oh, hey, I'm at the station. Hurry, hurry, almost there. There it is. I made it. I made it on time to get on the train. Oh crap, I spoke too soon. The final whistle blew and the doors just shut. Well, damn, now I have to wait for the next one. Unless... Is that... Is that what I think it is? An open door? Ha! Stupid conductors forgot to close one of the doors. Uh, The train hasn't left yet. I can probably still make it inside in time. (sighs) Screw it, I'm going for it. Okay, the train is further than I thought. I can still make it, though. Just gotta run faster. Oh, shit. It's starting to take off. I'm so close, though. I can make it. Here's the door. Just gotta jump it. Shit! What? What happened? Am I dead? I felt the train cut right through me. I see the lower half of my body spilled all over the tracks, but no pain. I didn't feel any pain at all. How am I still here? Oh, wait. (laughs) Of course. It all makes sense now. Clearly this is a dream. Oh, jeez. How didn't I realize this before? I should be waking up soon. 
You always wake up after you die. Yup. Just any second now. Weird. Time isn't going fast anymore. <laughs> Just my luck. And no worries. Shouldn't be much longer. I'll wake up. I'll wake up any second now. Right? Nightmares, at any capacity, are never a good time. But if you ask me, there is something about a recurring nightmare that really ignites the feeling of dread. We always hear about the cliched nightmare of showing up to work with no pants on, or going to school and realizing there's a huge test we didn't study for. Those are quotey fingers scary, in a tame sort of way. But what about the reoccurring nightmares that are truly spine-tingling? I personally have a recurring nightmare where I end up in the same place, the bathroom of my childhood home, and I'm being tormented by the same entity, the spirit of a crazy, haggard old woman. I won't waste your time with that, but if you want to hear more about it, I've gone into detail on the Nope Too Creepy YouTube channel. Link in the show notes. Now that I've gotten that shameless plug out of the way, let's continue with the podcast with a story centered around a man and his mysterious recurring nightmare. Written by Corbin Hosler, here is, When I was a kid, I had a recurring nightmare. Tonight, I was reminded what it was. I've never posted here before. But I've lurked around for a while, and it seems like people here have more experience than I do. So it seems like as good a place as any to share what happened last night. I'd be lying if I said it didn't freak me out. When I was a kid, around the age of my earliest memories, so probably around four or five, I had trouble sleeping. I don't have a great memory about most things, but I remember my sleep troubles probably better than anything else I do from that age. I was an only child, and I'm also adopted, and I lived in a small, older home with my parents. Living room, tiny kitchen, two small bedrooms, and one bathroom to share. Not exactly a mansion, but one of the upsides for a little kid of not being well off is that my parents were never more than 10 feet away in our tiny little house. One of my first memories is running into my parents' room and telling them about the faces I saw while laying in my bed. I still remember cuddling up with my favorite stuffed animal, a Care Bear of all things, for what felt like hours every night, trying and failing to go to sleep. I would just stare up at the ceiling, and while I did, it was like a parade of faces would slide in and out of my vision. The faces were a mix of contorted but normal people, and the typical scary things that a kid might see in movies. Vampires, werewolves, creepy old women. They would start at the top of my field of vision and go sliding down to the bottom, sort of like a weird 3D movie without the funny glasses. 
Obviously, this was terrifying to a little kid. Most of the time, I would hide under the blankets and hope to eventually fall asleep, but some nights were harder than the rest. The night I went running into their room, clutching my Care Bear, the first time I really fought the fear, I tried desperately to explain to them what was happening. Of course, they told me I was having a bad dream and that I would be fine, and they tucked me back into bed as my mom sat with me for a while. I slept with the TV static on that night, and before long, that was the only way I could ever get to bed at night. But even as a little kid, I knew I was not dreaming. I hadn't been asleep. I had woken up. It was happening to me while I was awake. And it continued, sometimes better or sometimes worse, for several months, even years. I'm 31 now, with a family of my own. Looking back, I know I was experiencing night terrors and probably sleep paralysis. I'm a very critical, science-driven person, and I'm not particularly religious. I don't think it was anything more than that, and I know my parents did the best they could. They probably had never even heard of the term night terrors or sleep paralysis. It got somewhat better over time, but I will never be able to forget how it felt. Or feels, I should say. I've struggled with them on and off in my adult life, and unfortunately, it's become more common over the last few years. It's really hard to explain the difference between a night terror and a normal nightmare if you've not experienced it, but you know how a nightmare can be scary, and then you wake up and need a few seconds to settle yourself? I've had plenty of nightmares. Frankly, they don't bother me that much, and I feel fine as soon as I wake up from them. But night terrors are completely different. I would wake up screaming, but not at anything in particular. My body is completely pumped full of adrenaline, the fight-or-flight mode engaged in the way that can only be when your body knows you're facing imminent danger. But the worst part is what it does to your mind. There's no rational thought for a solid minute or two upon waking up. I wish I was better with the words to describe it, but it's pure terror. I can't reason myself out of it. I can't take deep breaths to calm down. I can't do anything but gasp and try to slowly stop the screaming or the whimpering it turns into after a few seconds my muscles on fire like I've just finished a marathon. <sighs> anyway, I wouldn't ever suggest having night terrors. For better or worse, I've gotten as used to them as possible. Like I said, I struggled with it a lot as a kid, but it's become much more rare as an adult, until the last few years, when it became a little more frequent. I wouldn't only have one or two episodes a year, I'm sorry if I'm giving too many details, but it feels like it's important context to understand the reason why I'm posting here. I don't remember exactly when it started, but my trouble when I was a kid didn't stop when I would finally fall asleep. 
I don't usually remember my dreams or even my nightmares after a few minutes, but there is one or two dreams I'll never forget, much as I wish I could or try to convince myself I have. Because I had the same nightmare almost every single night for months. It always began the same way. I'd be sitting on the back porch of our little house. Like I said, the house was tiny, one of the many small, somewhat run-down houses in the neighborhood. Our back door had three wooden steps leading down into the yard. Turned to the left, and a few feet away, was the side of the house where my parents would keep the trash cans, and where you could turn and walk back towards the front gate. To the right from the door was the driveway that came into the backyard and the outside of the garage. And if you look straight out from the porch, there was maybe 10 feet of yard, then a chain-link fence with a gate that ran from the neighbor's wooden fence on one side to the edge of the garage on the other, gating off the rest of the yard that went 50 feet or so back. This is where I would begin the dream the only dream that ever mattered, every single time. I'd be on the back porch, and it was 12.03 in the morning, dark but with enough pale light to see the gray shape of my yard around me, almost like the light of a moon I never saw. I'll never know how I knew, or if it took many iterations of the dream for me to learn. But what I remember now is that I knew that at 12.07 in the morning, they would come for me. As a kid, I always thought of them as werewolves, but I know I never actually saw them, nor do I even remember them having a defined form from what I can recall. They would come from the left side of the house, and they would grab me. It felt like my entire body would be grabbed at once, and I would wake up screaming and sweating and crying for my mom. Normal night terror stuff, right? I always tried to rationalize it that way. But like I said, this wasn't like any other nightmare. Because every few nights, the dream would begin again. The back porch. 12.03 a.m., Screen door locked behind me. The trash cans to the side of the house. The driveway, where during the day I'd shoot hockey pucks at the garage door. And the red curtain. It's the red curtain that made all the difference in the world. Remember when I said there was a fence that blocked off the back half of the yard? In the dream, that fence was gone. In its place was a bright red curtain, the kind you'd find on a stage or at a movie theater. The world around me shined silvery in the pale light of a moon I now realize I never looked up to find, but the curtain was always bright red. It had a slight part at the top, a few feet to my left if I was looking out from the porch. Through the few feet of open space at that top, but not at the bottom, I could see what looked like daylight, 
and the branches of the tree we had behind, where the fence-slash-curtain stood. Staring at dark, scary images was my nightly ritual, followed by finding myself on the back porch. That silver of daylight felt familiar. It felt like home, and I desperately wanted to reach it. But I never could. Because when I would walk to the curtain and try to find the seam that went up to the opening on top, it didn't exist. Or maybe it did and I just never found it. Instead, as I would pull on the curtain and try to open it up, I would just keep billowing it out. I'd pull and pull and there was always more and more red curtain. It would eventually envelope around me as the four minutes I had ticked down while I buried myself more and more, completely in a panic, trying to reach that silver of daylight that felt like home. I would always fail, and they would be there, grabbing me and sending me back to my bed, screaming and clutching my Care Bear. Recurring dreams are a known phenomenon, and if every night I woke up fighting the curtain, I could rationalize this a lot better as an adult. But I did not have the same dream every night. I mean, I did. The porch, the light, the curtain, but it never felt the same. Because every night when I'd go back, that silver of light at the top of the curtain would be just a little more narrow, a little more unreachable. And eventually, I knew where I was. I don't know if I ever fully recognized it was a dream. After all, I could have just chosen to fly or whatever had I been truly lucid. But I always knew I was back in the same place at the same time, and I knew what would happen to me. I tried a hundred different ways to go through that damn red curtain. I tried climbing it. I tried going at it from the other side. I tried going around, only to find myself thoroughly blocked in by the wall of a fence. And every time I failed, that sliver of hope at the top would grow smaller, inch by inch. I couldn't tell you how long this lasted. For all I know, it was a couple of months and a few dozen times becoming aware of myself on that porch at 12.03 a.m. Or it could have been years, with the dreams more spaced out. Like I said, I don't have a great memory of when I was young. But I do remember when the dreams finally stopped. I don't know how many times I tried at that curtain but I know it wasn't every time I entered that dream. Other times I would try to escape in a different direction, or even out of the side where they came from. Nothing ever worked, and they all ended the same way, with the sensation of being squeezed from all around and waking up in my bed in terror. I wish I had some heroic story of how I made it out at the end, of how I stood up to the fear and declared it had no power over me. That's what always worked in the movies. But that's not what happened to me 
Instead, I would hide. Of course, I had tried that before, by cowering under the boards of the porch, where by day I would dig up worms, and by night I would hunker down, wishing I could live under the dirt the way they did. But hiding there never worked. 12.07 a.m. would come. I'd hear footsteps coming from the side of the house, and a few seconds later it would be over. It all ended the night I threw myself into the trash can. I don't know why. I don't know if that was some kind of coincidence, me finding something to overcome the mental hurdle or something else. But I threw myself into the metal trash can and covered myself with all the boxes inside. I remember staring up at the now tiny sliver of light at the top of the curtain as I pulled the lid over my head. And I remember the footsteps passing me by for the first time ever. I never had the dream again after that night. Not once in my life. Most of the time, I can pretend it never happened and avoid the chill I now have when recalling it again. But as I said, earlier tonight, it all came rushing back to me. I had a normal night with my family, and I tucked my son into sleep at 7.30 as usual. Unfortunately, night terrors seem to have a genetic component to them, and my son may have inherited something that I never wanted to give to him. He's almost four years old now, and he's always had a hard time sleeping his entire life. He wakes up at night in a sweat, screaming. When he was younger, he could never articulate what was actually scaring him, and we chalked it up to nightmares, or possibly even night terrors. When my son was old enough to talk, he would say that he doesn't like to sleep because it's scary which is what he always says when he tries to get out of something he doesn't want to do. Anyway, we brought it up to the doctor, who said there aren't really any answers to what's causing the night terrors, nor are there any real treatments. So, when my son woke up crying tonight, a few hours after going to sleep, as he does on way too many nights, I went in to soothe him back to sleep. I felt guilty, as always, that it's probably due to me in some way that he inherited this. But tonight was different. As I laid him down, he said something that chilled me to the bone and brought back a wave of memories I wish I did not have. Daddy, I'm scared of the red curtain. Recurring nightmares are definitely scary, but in my opinion, there is something much scarier when it comes to the horrors of sleep. Have you, dear listener, ever experienced sleep paralysis? If you have, I'm sorry. As a chronic sufferer of sleep paralysis myself, I can sympathize with you on how scary the experience can be. Laying there, unable to move, not knowing how long this particular spell is going to last. 
then come the hallucinations. You start to hear, feel, and even see things that are the epitome of terror. At least, science tells us that they are just hallucinations. In this next story, we join a team of researchers who are out to find the answers we all seek on this terrifying phenomenon known as sleep paralysis. Written by Reddit user Mr. Night Owl, I present Paralysis and the Shadow. The mysteries of sleep paralysis have captivated the world for centuries. This phenomenon has been widely known and investigated through both church and science. Individuals from all around the world claim to have been bestowed with seeing the shadow, a common name given to what many believe to be a demon. Science tells us that these sightings are brought on by nothing more than basic hallucinations. I'm here to tell you differently. Hallucinations are an experience involving the apparent perception of something not present. So, if one were to argue that this shadow isn't truly there, and that it is just in one's mind, another would counter with the question, why are different individuals visited by the same, quote, hallucination? My intentions are only research and theory. There is no need for me to bore you with my family's history in the paranormal, nor give reason to why I do the things I do. Solving cases, or attempting to, has been the hobby of our family and even friends who we've shared secrets with. But I digress to the matter at hand. Sleep paralysis and the shadow. Our team had spent over four hours getting everything set up on the first floor. Monitoring and observation had been set up on the second floor. A loft which one could easily watch the first floor from above. My younger sister, who we'll just name Vivian, had a knack for perfection. She would check the setup over and over until she was confident in its ability to aid our experiment. Positions! Vivian clapped her hands. If anyone entered our building unintentionally, they'd assume we were shooting on set. Two others and I lay in position. Vivian escorted the rest of the team to observation. My friend, oh, let's say Marty, leaned over. Are you ready to meet it? I reminded him that the shadow was not known for every paralysis, and that it's documented to be random. Of course, he was usually the optimistic one of our group. Quiet! It's go time! Vivian ordered us from the speaker. The lights dimmed. We all straightened our backs against the sleeping bags we had laid in a circle. White noise a static you might hear from an open radio frequency, took over the speaker. It started at a low volume before growing to the decibel set by our researcher. People's minds are different, so our patterns of falling asleep are also different. 
The reason we had multiple people for this experiment was not only for the probability, but also because we were curious of finding at least two individuals encountering the same experience, if we were to be so fortunate. Which, in this particular case, we were. Time passed slowly, and our eyelids grew heavy. The trick was to not fully enter what is known as rapid eye movement sleep, also known as our deep sleep state. This is where one would typically dream. Our goal was to have our minds break between that state and our consciousness in order to be, quote, between the two. This is where the shadows are seen. My consciousness still held its grip while the white noise helped center my mind onto the deeper state. I caught sounds of snoring from the women to my left. Her consciousness slipped, and she must have fully entered the dream world. Marty and I still seemed to hold true to our consciousness. It wasn't until much later when the lights overhead flickered. What felt like small needles slithering up the sides of my legs soon jolted into my spine. The feeling made me fidget, however, I didn't move. Attempting to wiggle my toes, my body was completely frozen. And that's when I saw it. No, not a demon nor a sapient of any kind. It was a shadow falling over me with curiosity. Both of us wanted to know more of the other. The best way to describe this would be to picture someone dropping food coloring in a glass of water. Using that image, the shadow I witnessed was the food coloring, and the room was its glass of water. No! A sudden cry spooked the shadow away from me, and back through the wall of its origin. My body tensed up before fully recovering from my sleeping bag. The woman and I woke up to find Vivian and others surrounding Marty, who had just had a seizure. Marty was not an epileptic, so our nurse called for an ambulance. When it arrived, I took to his side as the emergency medical technicians were able to resuscitate him. We were all relieved. They told us he still needed to go to the hospital since he had no history with epilepsy. We were not going to argue with their expertise. I decided to ride with Marty to the hospital while Vivian and the team went through the recordings and observation. Hey... Marty sat up during the ride. I pushed my hand down, guiding him to lay back in order to rest. He was very stubborn. He sat up again and motioned for me to come closer. I saw it, he whispered. I saw the shadow. I compared my encounter with his. Looking around for my cell phone to call Vivian. Marty was still painting what he saw. I figured we had seen the same thing, 
which was one possibility our team hypothesized. However, his encounter was not of food coloring and a glass of water. Instead, it seemed he saw a sapient creature crouching over him. I finally found my phone when Vivian called. I asked her to hold on for a moment while they unloaded Marty to a wheelchair. I followed him from behind, but paused when Vivian told me that prior to Marty's seizure, one of the cameras captured his entire body slightly lifting from his sleeping bag. There had to be some explanation. Perhaps he was trying to lift himself out of paralysis, and the camera was playing a weird angle on us. When I told her of Marty's observation, Vivian told me to come back immediately. I was not going to leave Marty alone at the hospital, no matter where we were in our experiment. Before I continue on to what this all led up to, remember when I mentioned probability? Well, I might have left out the part where we had another team doing the exact same experiment over in Cambridge. What can I say? We wanted to be very thorough. After all, Vivian was a perfectionist. One of our colleagues from the Cambridge team, who we'll call Thomas, contacted our team once his team had completed their experiment. They claimed that only two people out of their six experienced sleep paralysis. Only one of those two had seen a sapient creature. Vivian ran their tape and no movement had been noticed. No one on their end needed medical attention, thank God. When Thomas came to hear about Marty's misfortune, their team shut everything down. Not worth the risk. Thomas agreed we needed to uncover what had happened in more detail before continuing. Pull the other camera's footage of Marty, I instructed Vivian. After hanging up, I rushed to catch up with Marty being wheeled into a room, waiting for a doctor. Marty was unusually quiet, but then again, I'm sure he felt uneasy about having a seizure, especially since he's not had any history that would lead to one. I kept trying to convince myself that his episode had not been related to the experiment. Besides a few pounds of pressure, there was no record of anyone being affected between dream and consciousness. Well not physically outside paralysis, anyways. I was very curious about the whole thing. From our Cambridge team, the hypothesis of the shadow sapient being the same came to light. Both descriptions were very identical. I'd been the only one that observed a different kind of shadow, mine being non-sapient. Don't worry. We are now at the final piece of this entire episode. Vivian called me again, and I escaped to the hallway, away from Marty. My intentions were to make him feel more comfortable. It was I who needed comfort. 
Vivian had pulled footage from the other cameras, and Marty's body did appear to have fully lifted slightly from his sleeping bag. She also claimed that he opened his mouth and began to scream no before having his seizure. Scratching my head, I told her that we already knew that. It's what jolted the other sleeper and I awake. You don't understand, Vivian replied. She continued to explain that what they saw in the footage didn't make any sense. What are you talking about? I asked. Vivian further explained that they immediately rushed down the stairs when Marty had his seizure. It wasn't until moments later when the other woman and I awoke. Nobody screamed, Vivian told me over the phone. It was completely silent when Marty had his seizure. What are you, what are you saying? I asked, trying to grasp her story. There hadn't been any screaming. There had to be a mistake, I told myself. Maybe in that moment, everyone was so frightened that they didn't remember him crying out. I turned my attention back onto Marty inside the room. He was cracking his neck and studying his fingers. One may look upon him and compare his movements similar to that of a species adjusting inside a new shell. Or maybe he was just trying to recover from not only having a seizure, but any leftovers of paralysis. Regardless, it seemed that this case was far from over. Thank you for joining me in this episode of the Nope Too Creepy podcast. Hopefully, I provided enough fuel to live up to the mantra of Nope Too Creepy. The goal I had when I started the YouTube channel years ago. To be the reason you are afraid to use the bathroom at night. If you're interested in learning more about the authors, links to connect with them can be found in the show notes. Until next time... This is Dan David, reminding you all to stay safe out there. I'll be seeing you in the next episode. Nope.